0: Hey guys, uh, thank you for tuning into another episode of Let Free Ring Podcast. It's it's your favorite podcast every Monday, and I know that I probably sound a little different. My voice probably sounds a little deeper. That's because I had to upgrade mics, and I had to go out and buy a new mic because of uh, some some technical difficulties that happened with the last one. I mean, I had that mic for like three years, so it it was time to get a new one. So hopefully the audio quality is a lot better for you guys. It sounds better on my end as well. But let's get into it. We have a great show today. A little bit later in the show, Isabel Brown will be joining TPUSA contributors to talk about her new book and her um her her activism. She she does good work with TPUSA and with herself. So that should be that should be a really really good part of the episode. Uh, but first and foremost, let's get into it. So a lot of news has broke over the past week about the election, about what's been happening. And I'm recording this on Saturday as normal, which always tends to get me in trouble. I'm sure it will again. So let's let's go ahead and get into this. So let's start off with Eric Swalwell so Eric Swalwell as you guys know was the he he was the tip of the iceberg the tip of the spear in trying to end uh, President Trump's presidency because of you know you know what I'm saying you know because he he, he timed he, he he ganged up with Russia there he he wanted Russia to have control that's obviously what Trump wanted so. Eric Swalwell was not going to let that happen. He was not going to let a foreign government be able to intervene into America and let a foreign government have any type of sway over America. So what does Eric Swalwell do? So Eric Swalwell decides to, um, you know, you know, have sex with the Russian spy or with a Chinese spy. Yeah, so this, this is actually really funny, in my opinion, because Eric Swalwell has said for years that there's no reason, there's no reason that. That Donald Trump shouldn't cast out these Russians and that he shouldn't, you know, that this should be allowed. And then per Axios, who I'm sure, who I'm sure is going to get, you know, killed now, that he, he, he was sleeping with, with, with a Russian or with a Chinese spy. Chinese spy, sorry. And I just, you know, I just think this was really funny. I don't know. I don't know how true this is. We'll pull it up. Hold on. And what US officials believe was a political intelligence operation ran by China's main civilian spy agency between 2011 and 2015, Axios found in a year long investigation. The woman at the center of the operation, a Chinese national named Fang Fang or Christine Fang, targeted up and target coming local politicians in the Bay Area and across the country with the potential to make it big on the national stage. So I guess he chose Eric Swalwell. Imagine losing to Eric Swalwell. Imagine being like the person that Fang Fang was like, ah. Eric Swalwell has more potential than you. That's actually really funny because Eric Swalwell has no potential. I mean, he'll if he was in any other district in the world, he wouldn't win. Among the most significant targets of Fang's efforts were Eric Swalwell. That that's really funny. Fang took part in fundraising activities for Swalwell's Swalwell's 2014 re-election campaign, according to the Bay Area Political Operative and US intelligence official. Swalwell was directly aware of these activities on its behalf, the political operative said. That same political operative who witnessed Fang fundraising on Swalwell's behalf found no evidence of illegal contributions. So, I mean, I mean, I wish that would happen. No, I'm just kidding. I don't wish that would happen. The FEC records don't indicate Fang herself made <coughs> her donations, which are prohibited from foreign nationals. Fang helped place at least one intern in Swalwell's office, according to the same two people, and interacted with Swalwell at multiple events over the course of several years. A statement from Swalwell's office, Rep. Swalwell long ago provided information about this person whom he met more than eight years ago and whom he hasn't seen in nearly six years to the FBI to protect information that might be classified. He will not participate in your story. Well, this is just that this is just absolutely hilarious because Eric Swalwell has been saying for years, like for years, that Donald Trump was in bed with the Russians when he literally was in bed with the Chinese, but was in bed with the Russians. He was doing Vladimir Putin's bidding overseas. He was doing Vladimir Putin's bidding everywhere. That That's what Eric Swalwell has been saying for years. In fact, I think you guys remember this clip. Hold on. I'll, I'll play it. Who were on the phone listening to the president talk about this swap of dirt for U.S. military aid. Chris, so far, the evidence is uncontradicted that the president used taxpayer dollars to ask the ukrainians to help him Uh cheat an election and the complaint that i've heard from republicans did you guys hear that this man just literally like he didn't cut the cheese he took the cheese and he he took the entire wheel of cheese and he took a freaking axe and took it to the axe now this was a big story last year i mean it's absolutely it's kind of funny i mean it's not really anything like crazy it's a little funny though it's just kind of funny when a sitting congressman who at that time i believe was running for president or was about to run for president just you know passes gas on live tv it's just a little funny but this gets into a a bigger part of the issue is that democrats tend to always they're like the kids who like do something bad and then blame it on the other person like that's what they do they like blame they blame russian interference on donald trump when Russia definitely did not want Trump to win. They blame Ukrainian corruption on Donald Trump when, as it's coming to find out, it's about Biden. And that's another thing that's back into the news today. So back into the news today, we have Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, not Beau Biden. Hunter Biden is under in federal investigation for his tax returns and what they have to do with one Ukraine. All right. This is per Drew Holden uh 360 at drew holden 360 on twitter he says quote the hunter biden story broke two months ago most of the media ignored it and called it russian disinformation despite no evidence that it was now that the election is over the story it seems it's okay to print who's up for a little before and after you'll remember that one of the key players in all this was tony Boblinsky, a former business associated of of the bidens well You might not know if you've only read CNN as of last night. They'd never mentioned him. But their homepage featured Hunter in China. Funny that. Then the headline that he goes to show says, Feds investigating Hunter Biden's China business dealings. And surely you remember that CNN had former DNI James Clapper on the program to say that the post reporting that blew the lid off the Biden family corruption in the first place was classic textbook Soviet-Russian tradecraft back in October. It's a story that says, to me, the the, the headline or, or the tweet in put out said, to me, this is just classic textbook Soviet Russian tradecraft at work, end quote. Former director of national intelligence James Clapper says, as authorities are investigating recently published emails tied to a Russian disinformation tar- effort target targeting Biden. And then that was, you know, two, two months ago before the election. And then now just in CNN, just in this by CNN president-elect joe biden's son hunter biden says he's facing tax investigation by the u.s attorney's office in delaware delaware is where they live obviously i thought he would have moved to oregon where they legalized every drug in the world the richest may be npr back in october they didn't have a peep to say about hunter i kid you not they don't want to wait they said they quote don't want to waste our time on stories that are not real stories apparently that's a story npr said uh, on october 22nd 2020 Why haven't you seen any stories from NPR about the NY Post's Hunter Biden story? Read more in the newsletter. And then you you click the newsletter and it goes, We don't want to waste our time on stories that are not real stories. We don't want to waste the listener and reader's time on stories that are just pure distractions. This is by Terrence Samuel. Then, on December 9th, 2020, NPR has reached out to a U.S. attorney's office in Delaware and will update accordingly. And it says about Hunter Biden's under federal investigation for tax matter. Politico put out a piece back in October about how, quote, 50 former senior intel officers said it might be Russian disinformation, despite the entire American intel apparatus saying that was bunk. Today, they use the same picture of Hunter to report about Hunter's corruption. They actually use the same picture. The same picture. They said Justice Department's interest in Hunter Biden covered more than taxes. Investigation also looked at foreign ties, possible money laundering. And then Politico did it again, CBS News, NewsHour, New York Times, MSNBC, Rachel Maddow, Joy Reid, Washington Post, Business Insider, USA Today, These, all these people, every last one of them, back in October, when it could have mattered to the election, I'll get into that in a second, didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to talk about it because they knew that it was probably true. Because many, this isn't just, this isn't just the Bidens, this is the Pelosi's, this is everyone. If their dad is one of the top senators in the country, they use their name. They use their dad's name to make money. It's just a simple fact. That's just what it is. They either use their dad's name to make money or they use their dad's name to get back into politics. It's just how it works. So I don't know how many of you guys listen to Rush Limbaugh, but I try to, I try to catch him. I catch him at least a few days a week for a couple hours, probably uh, when I'm just driving around. And he, uh, he, had a, he, m- he mentioned something about this a couple of weeks ago before they even started mentioning it. He said that he, he showed a study that I, I can't I can't remember what it was, but it was a study of swing state voters. I want to say either swing state voters that were Democrat or swing state voters that are independent. I'll see if I can pull it up while I'm talking about it. Uh, Hunter Biden swing or sorry, story swing state. Voters. Hold on. Uh, Of course it's not. Okay. This is per the Times Free Press, the Chattanooga Times Free Press. It says one in six Biden voters would have changed their minds if they had known the full story. One in six. No, I I just submitted my last final yesterday, so I don't even know math anymore. Oh, what? 16%. 16% of people would have switched. Their vote, if they had known about the Hunter Biden story in its entirety, if they would have known that this was real, if they would have known that this was actually real and that people, that this was true and that there could be corruption here, well, that would have swayed, excuse me, that would have swayed the election. That would have absolutely swayed the election in favor of President Trump by a by a landslide i almost cussed there, but by a landslide that would have made president trump win on levels similar to reagan and nixon and their re-election efforts but because the press hates donald trump because of all the good donald trump is doing they decided that eh, man, yeah, maybe we just shouldn't talk about it. maybe we should just you know wait until you know December, uh, ja- january mm. oh god we got to do it in december because hunter biden says that he's actually under investigation why couldn't hunter do that? i would i would have gave 120 bucks for a crack rock if he would have just told us in october i would have i would have done that that's a joke he actually i mean he needs help he's probably he's probably not a bad guy he probably just needs help but i, I nonetheless i would have done that um because it's absolutely crazy, and to get into the election, let's, this is a good segue. There, talking about Hunter Biden, crack rocks. Um, so there was a there was a case that was brought up before the Supreme Court. Uh, this case here, I'll bring it back up. This case basically argued that because um, Georgia, sorry, it was Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, I believe, changed their. Um, since they changed their rules last minute, they weren't allowed to do that and therefore it kind of disenfranchises Texan voters. So this is per Breitbart. It says quote seventeen states support seventeen states support Texas Supreme Court lawsuit alleging PA, Michigan, Georgia, and Wisconsin elections were unconstitutional goes on to say, 17 states filed amicus briefs Wednesday supporting the t- state of Texas lawsuit filed directly to the U.S. Supreme Court, which targets Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin over claims of unconstitutional practices in their respective elections. The states include, uh, this is a long list, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, in- Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Missouri, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, and West Virginia. Now, what's important to understand this was 3 days ago. I th- want to say Arizona joined. Let me let me fact check that. Did Arizona join? Okay. So, 20 hours ago, Arizona joined Texas's lawsuit. Now, what is now if you look at it, the other 17 states that were mentioned December 9th. All of these states, uh, let me double check, um, Yeah, all of these states voted red. None of these states voted blue. I mean, Utah went historically red. I mean, all four congressional districts went red. I mean, Tennessee is one of the reddest states in the country. All these states went red, except Arizona. Arizona was the only state that went blue, and they joined this lawsuit. They joined this lawsuit because they agreed that what what the people in those four states did, which have a collective probably nearly 100 electoral votes, which is a big thing, what they did swayed the election. What they did caused their constituents, the constituents of these eighteen states' votes, or nineteen states, I guess if you include Texas, their votes to be un- to be to be disenfranchised because of they Texas followed the Constitution. They even kicked Dominion out three, four times. And these other states said, eh, nah, we'll do whatever we want. And I mean one of those states is my home state of Georgia. It's it's absolutely crazy. So we we go ahead and we keep reading um, Texas filed a lawsuit on Monday Arguing that the battleground states quote Violated the electors clause of the constitution Because they made changes to voting rules and procedures Through courts or through executive actions But not through state legislatures The lawsuit states that quote Certain officials in the defendant states Presented the pandemic as justification For ignoring state laws regarding absentee And mail-in voting And claims that the states quote Flooded their citizenry with mil- tens of millions Of ballot applications and ballots And der- derogatory of statutory controls as to how they are lawfully received, evaluated, and counted. Calling the acts unconstitutional, the suit claims that the acts had the same uniform effect that they had in the 2020 election, less secure, independent states. Those changes are inconsistent with relevant state laws and were made by non-legislative entities without any consent by the state legislatures. These acts of the officials thus directly violated the Constitution, Ken Paxton says. The Supreme Court has ordered the defendant states to respond to the lawsuit by Thursday. Now, unfortunately, if we go back to, to Breitbart again, I saw this last night. It broke a lot of hearts. Very sad. Hold on. Give me one second. It goes. Well, I, I, I can't find the article right now, but basically, the Supreme Court will not hear Texas case. The Supreme Court declined to hear the Texas case. This is per, uh, we'll go with USA Today. This is per USA Today. Uh, The Supreme Court refused Friday to let Texas challenge the election results and foreboding on state's critical to President Trump's defeat at the polls last month, likely sealing his political fate. Quote, Texas has not demonstrated a, judici- a judicially cognizable interest in the matter in which another state conducts its election. Therefore, the court sent a reporter. It dismissed all of the related claims as moot. The justice action clears the way the electors convene in 50 states and the District of Columbia Monday and all, but confirm that President-elect Joe Biden was the nation's 46th president of Texas. is made, and Trump has endorsed an 11th-hour effort to have the nation's highest court block Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin from casting their electoral votes for Biden. Monday, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton claimed the four states used coronavirus pan- pandemic, a scam, as a pretext to change the election rules, blah, blah, blah. So, seven, it was a seven to two decision. The two votes who said, no, we should hear this because we, ha- we, we almost have to hear this were Clarence Thomas and Alito. So, the three people who Donald Trump appointed gave them the honor of their lifetime, said, nah, I don't really think we should hear this. Now, there are a few cases, so what? how this works is there are a few cases in the country that have what's called original jurisdiction, meaning that they don't have to go through the appellate system, they don't have to go through the appellate system, they don't have to start with like a local, like federal, uh, a federal court level, and then go through the appellate level, and then go to the Supreme Court. And part of this is if two federal appellate courts... Um, if they have differing opinions on similar cases, this has to happen. Um, if somebody doesn't like their appellate decision and they, they, um, they appeal it again, this, this, this can happen. But they don't have original jurisdiction. But when one state, or almost 20 states, sue four states, well, they can't go to anywhere else other than the Supreme Court. Because the Supreme Court is the national court. It's the top court. It's the only court that encompasses all 50 states. So what Alito and Thomas said, Alito and Thomas said that they, that we pretty much have to hear this case, even though I guess, I guess they don't, but it looks like they should have to. You have 20 states and four states that kind of are beefing with each other and you, you should answer it because what happens if you don't, if you don't answer this in the future, you set this precedent to where you don't have to listen to these cases, you don't have to agree with them, you just have to listen to them. Well, what happens when you don't listen to these cases, this is how countries fall apart. This is why Texas will, you know, Texas, this is why a state will invade another state because of stuff like this. This is where you see National Guards start to go at each other. This is where you see people start to fight. And this kind of leads to the talk of secession. Now, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, the state GOP chair for Texas, um, said in a statement basically that people should... You know, people law-abiding states should abide and form their own uh, excuse me their own uh, union that abides by the constitution that's what they said and a lot of people on twitter that i saw were, were agreeing with them and now what do i think about that now personally this is this is what i thought and I'm, i'll be speaking about this next saturday with uh, or this upcoming saturday when you guys hear this if we can just make sure let's say let's say donald trump loses let's just say that joe biden is inaugurated on january 20th sorry if we can hold on to these two senate seats come january 5th in georgia in my home state where i've been traveling all across the state the past six weeks or yeah about six weeks trying to trying to help if we can just stop that if we can just make it, if we can save the Senate and reelect my friends David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, well, we can, we can win. Because I'll tell you this. So you can't trust everything Winwood says. You can't. Is he a good lawyer? Probably. I don't know. I haven't read his judicial, uh, I haven't read his case files. However, if Donald Trump didn't think you should vote come January 5th, or starting Monday, when this goes live, if you're in Georgia and you're registered to vote, hear me out. Let me me clear my voice so you can hear me. If you or any of your friends live in Georgia, go to the polls, vote early, and vote in person. I will say that again. If any of your friends live in Georgia, vote early or vote in person. Okay, was that that hard? Absolutely not, because let me tell you why. If we can get David and Kelly elected to the U.S. Senate, let me tell you what happens. The country is saved, because if we don't get these two elected, you've heard Chuck Schumer say it, dozens and dozens, at least I have, because it's played all over Georgia. If we take Georgia, we change America. I had the honor of meeting the Secretary of the Agriculture over the past week, uh, yesterday when I'm recording this so, uh, on Friday when you guys are listening to this his name is Sonny Perdue now Sonny Perdue was the first was the 81st governor of Georgia and he was the first governor to be elected as a Republican since the civil war that means Democrats went 130 some odd years from his election of where they were always governor of Georgia now I, now I've I I am supposed to be getting uh, Governor Perdue or Agri- or Secretary Perdue on the podcast. I was talking to him and his like body guy is what, is what he put his number in my phone as. So hopefully we do get him on. But if we don't get these two elected, it doesn't matter what we do. It won't matter what Republicans do because the country as we know it will be gone. And I've been calling out for years the idea of fear-mongering. The idea of saying, like, hey, if this if we don't get our way in this election, it's over. The way Democrats do. The way they said in 2016. They were all leaving, but they're still here. If we don't get Kelly and David re-elected, we're done. Because let me tell you what they'll do. They will pack the court. They will add two, three new Supreme Court justices who agree with them. Who will be senators from the bench who will serve the longest reign as a... They will, elect, they will put a 25-year-old person who isn't even out of law school yet on the freaking court who wants to be a Democratic senator one day like Schumer. That's what they'll do. Then, they'll take Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico, give them statehood, give them four senators between the two of them, and they will let them... That will change the power of the Senate forever, We will never be able to catch up. Those are two of the most liberal places in America. Now, I do think that they need representation, you know, because they are U.S. citizens. But I don't, but it it shouldn't come straight to statehood. It shouldn't. I do think they need representation. I do think they need to be able to be represented. I mean, they are, well, Puerto Rico is not taxed really, but Washington, D.C. is taxed. Washington, D.C. does pay federal income tax. And Washington, D.C. is governed. They're like, I guess, kind of like they're, all their budget and stuff comes from the federal government. So all that needs to, they do need a representative. I agree. They don't, I don't know if they need a senator. I don't know. My, my thought is about that is that they should put, they, sh- they should group them up with a different state in terms of who they call to lobby on their behalf, whether like the northern part be with like Delaware, Virginia, or Maryland, or you, you choose it. But anyway, they will pack the court. They will change the voting laws forever. Republicans gained a couple of state houses this time, and especially in critical states. If we don't, if next year Republicans become spineless in the state legislature and we don't pass election reform, we don't get rid of this Dominion voting software. If we don't pass reform that says you can't request an absentee ballot unless you absolutely 100% need one through guidelines that we post, Eric Erickson put out a great thing about this. He said that you shouldn't be able to request an absentee ballot unless you are, like, 70, you are infirmed, you are, um, did a lot of things. You're active duty military, you're uh, disabled, you can't get to the polls, only then. And you should have to sign it, you should have to, you know, scan your ID, put it in it, we should require na- national voter ID cards, it'll be like a one, t- it'll be, it'll cost nothing. Compared to what will happen if we don't have secure elections. the election that people believe in. That's what we need to do. If we don't do that. The future as we know it. Is bleak. The future as we know it. Is bleak. We won't have the same country. It's just like Ronald Reagan said. One day. In our golden years. We'll be sitting around a fire. Because we won't have electricity. Because the socialists took over. Telling our kids and our kids' kids what it was like when you could live in America where man was free. I'm not gonna let that happen. I'm going to be fighting and driving and campaigning all across Georgia with Senator Perdue and Senator Kelly Leffler. We have to get them elected, no matter if you like if you supported Doug Collins in twenty twenty in the primary, or if you supported Jack Kingston in 2014 in the primary, or one time you want to take a, a picture with Senator David Perdue and he had to go, or one time Kelly Loeffler made you mad. We, we we don't have that option now. We don't have that option now. They're Republicans, they're better than Mitt Romney, and we need them. We need them. Were they my ideal choices? I don't know. I don't. Perdue never had a primary. And Kelly has a good voting record. And the stock thing doesn't really make sense to me personally. Because Kelly's husband is the chairman of the New, like the New York Stock Exchange or something like that. Are you trying to tell me these people don't have the best overall people who can read the market? I don't know. I think that they would understand that they couldn't do that. Because it would look bad. And a bipartisan, mostly Democratic Senate committee cleared her. We have to get out and we have to vote for these people absolutely. And if you don't like, if you don't like Kelly, 100%, I, whatever, that's your opinion. If you don't like Kelly Perdue, or sorry, Kelly Loeffler, guess what? this isn't a six year term. She's back up in 22. Call someone to primary her, call someone to run against her, call someone to primary her and vote for them in 2022. This is a two year election for Kelly. She's basically running for, to be the, the congressman for the entire state vote for Kelly. See if she gets better see if you like her and if you still don't find someone to vote for her in the primary, but we need these two seats and we need them now because if we don't have these two seats, the future as we know it.
1: Well, hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be over. joining Noah the on the podcast today. My name is Isabel Brown, and I am a Turning Point USA contributor, time which is basically and without further a fancy ado, name I for welcome fancy on my spokesperson. So guest, my opportunity with Turning Isabel Point Brown. USA every day is to represent what we do from a culture war perspective and trying to introduce conservative ideas to America's next generation on college campuses in traditional media, so television and radio and print media as well. Uh, and then the digital and social media side of things, too. So lots of video productions and engaging with you guys every day on social media.
0: Right. And so, Isabel, if I'm not wrong, you went from being a Turning Point USA, like attendee, like going to the summits, to actually like now being one of the faces of, of the movement, correct? Could you kind of tell my 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 listeners about kind of how that came to where you just were listening to, I want to actually take a step in and start, you know, acting upon what I believe in?
1: That is absolutely true. I first got started with Turning Point USA when I was a college student at Colorado State University. And I never really anticipated working in politics or getting involved that much outside of my own personal interest, but found that the culture of leftism on my campus was so pervasive, even in my major of biomedical sciences. I first went to college with the goal of becoming a surgeon, so I really was not interested in poli-sci or current events that much other than my own personal hobbies. Uh, but all of a sudden I found that even in my classes like anatomy, physiology, and chemistry, my teachers were spending a lot more time talking about who just ran for president Or what their opinion on a southern border wall or restrictions on free speech were than the black and white facts of science, which is what I was paying tuition for. Uh, I went to a Turning Point USA conference the summer after my sophomore year of college the Young Women's Leadership Summit, and I completely fell in love with all things that TPUSA was doing. They really seemed to understand that this was about so much more than a political battle every four years with who's running for president or who's running for Congress every few years. This was about the culture of America. And if we can reach more young people culturally where they're at uh, and expose them to the ideas of freedom and liberty and limited government That's how we can create a sustainable culture for America moving forward. So I started a Turning Point USA chapter the next fall when I went back to Colorado State University, and that's essentially a club for conservative ideas on campus and worked as a student for a few years with TPUSA before transitioning after graduation into more of a front-facing spokesperson role. I never anticipated I would be doing this, but I absolutely love my job. It's a true dream come true to be able to work with so many thousands of young Americans every day.
0: Yeah, no, t- for those of you who don't know, who aren't listening, a-, a lot of my listeners are older. So TPUSA is a really, really, really good organization. I'm, I've been an ambassador with them now for about uh, going on, I guess, two years now. And they're on. you guys are on, what, 1,000 campuses nationwide, over 1,000 campuses?
1: 2,000, actually. Two we have a presence on over 2,000 campuses.
0: So that means that they're most likely either on, if you're listening, you're a college student on your campus, or if you're listening, you're a parent to a college student, or high schools, correct?
1: High schools as well. Yes, indeed.
0: That you guys should definitely get plugged in because it's a great thing. I've met a lot of uh people who become became friends at my first um one when I went to um uh, HSLS which is now TSAS, I believe, um but getting out of, getting out of just TPUSA because I'm sure you talk about it all the time. Let's talk about you a little bit. So Isabel decided to follow in my footsteps and write a book. Would do you mind telling my listeners a little bit about that?
1: Yes, I am so excited. I just recently announced that my first book will be coming out in a few months, towards the end of February. And I started writing this book a few years ago when I was still a student, actually, because I realized doing what I was doing as a campus activist and outwardly sharing conservative ideas on my college campus, people are hearing a lot about how crazy and how socialist infested college campuses have become. But the only perspective they're hearing is when a famous conservative speaker comes to campus. And there's a massive protest and things go crazy for one night, but they never hear that three months later, the student running the club who invited that speaker may get an F on their paper or be impeached from student government simply because they're an outspoken conservative trying to be a change maker on their college campus. I was very involved in student government when I was in college as well and therefore frequently had meetings with the university administration once or twice a week. So was in a lot of high level behind the scenes meetings, listening to the people I was paying tuition to tell me that conservative ideas had no place on our campus and that their goal was to turn our university into a social justice institution. So I realized there was so much more to the story regarding the assault on conservative values and honestly, objective truth on my college campus. And I started writing everything down as quickly as I could so I wouldn't forget. Obviously, that's been polished a little bit since I graduated in the spring of 2019. But I'm so excited for people to finally have a behind-the-scenes view of what's happening on college campuses. So my first book is called Frontlines, Finding My Voice on an American College Campus. And it will be out and available for all of you guys to order on Amazon here in the next couple months.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely have to have you right back on right before the launch, so people can definitely uh, remember to order it. Because I look forward to ordering it and reading it. Because I, I think what you're talking about is 100 percent correct. Because what you got to objective truths. So there's some things that the left believes that you know I can un- I can get with. You know, we can have differing opinions on tax rates. We can have differing opinions on you know marginal tax rates. Like I said, the capital punishment, whatever it may be. But there are certain things that we have to be able to agree on we have to be able to agree to respectfully debate or, or, or we won't have a republic and that's right. something that the left has kind of i'm sure you're aware of have tried to shut down shut down the um the the dialect i mean you've seen you know your boss charlie kirk has got water thrown on him all the time get spit at just for being a conservative and he's not even a radical conservative he just is a typical i would say populist conservative america first conservative so what do you think is what do you think is the biggest uh, piece of advice you could give to somebody listening right now who may be in your shirt, in your shoes a few years, like when you are a few years ago, who was just a college student who believes in the conservative ideals? And maybe they're not outspoken, because I believe overall, most people, most college students tend to be center right. They just don't talk about politics that much. Well, what's your biggest piece of advice to them?
1: Don't back down. And I think if I could go back to my college experience, I would tell myself to embrace a little bit more courage earlier on. This idea of leftism taking over college campuses is not just affecting political ideology or our ability to have a friendly discussion and debate with people that we disagree with. It's literally rewriting history and rewriting scientific fact. Uh, As I mentioned, I was a sciences student, so I never anticipated that the insanity of leftism would be part of my curriculum and in my classes. But for example, we would spend weeks learning about the two sets of chromosomes only to be told that there's infinity numbers of genders. So disregard everything that we told you earlier, or we would spend months learning about every tiny step that has to happen in fetal development, that it is a unique human being genetically. It has its own set of DNA But never mind, it's not actually killing a human being if you participate in abortions. So it was so interesting for me to see that this idea of objective truth, not just political ideology or my opinion being different from yours, really is experiencing an all out assault from the left on college campuses. So I think the best thing that students can do to be a part of that is to get involved in the process, to speak up and say something in your classes and student government meetings uh, when things are happening in your fraternity or sorority that you're not okay with. Because there's so much power with a single person speaking the truth who's rooted in objective reality. And that can make such a difference on college campuses. Most of the time, conservative students don't want to be outspoken because they see other people do it. And instantly those people are labeled as white supremacists and Nazis and transphobic people. The worst names that the left can possibly come up with. But when you see another person go through that and continue to fight for what they believe in and continue getting up over and over and over again, that can inspire someone else to experience that same courage and want to share their values with their community too. I experienced that as a student at CSU. There was such a profound movement happening because a handful of people were willing to stand up for what they believed in and not back down to the left. And obviously, we're seeing that all across the country right now, doing what I do with Turning Point USA. I'm seeing this on hundreds. Hundreds, if not thousands of college campuses all across the country. It's such an exciting time to be a part of that, but it really involves all of us embracing a tiny bit of courage here and there. Raise your hand and correct your professor in class. Say you disagree in a student government meeting, and that's when you start to inspire more people to get involved in the process.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with you there. We need more conservative speaking up because i I can't think of the psychological rule but it's basically like you just need one person to start it because nobody wants to be the first person to be outspoken but they'll once somebody starts that movement gets the ball rolling they'll 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 fall in line and luckily i go to a, a campus that's overwhelmingly conservative in southeast georgia and i know unfortunately not everyone gets that same opportunity they don't want to pay the tuition to hillsdale to liberty university and they live in like new york let's say um well, th- what you're saying is really good points, and I do I did want to pick on your um on your your pro life because I saw your post about it and b- you being um you, like you said a a, a health major, uh, basically a science major. You know what do you say to people who say science doesn't support the pro life movement? Science says science says you should be able to kill your baby five minutes after it comes out. Nowadays is what Ralph Northam says in Virginia. What do you make of that?
1: Right. I, I think that new concept of not just late term abortion, but this idea of abortion after birth has been so shocking to me in the last few years. And politicians really latching themselves onto this new movement just goes to show me how far morality has gone out the window when it comes to even positions of science, let alone, you know, religious or personal or Political opinions as well. So, really, I try to base my pro life views really in my scientific basis of education. And I think if more people understood the process of fetal development, they would really have a unique opportunity to understand that this is a unique human being. And the scientific community is very much united in the fact that life begins at conception with a unique human being. Uh, Last year, Dr. Steve Jacobs, who's a PhD awardee from the University of Chicago, did a very interesting dissertation on the abortion debate. And he interviewed more than 5,000 biologists and asked them when life begins. And this is really important. 96% of them responded with a simple answer being conception. And the majority of those people that he asked were liberal, pro-choice, and non-religious. More than 50% of them were all three of those things. So this isn't a political or religious value. This is just based on scientific reality. And when you look at all of the steps of fetal development from day one, Uh, you see that a circulatory system and a heart starts to begin to form only three weeks after conception. Most babies actually can feel pain as early as 12 weeks after conception. And when you look at these little steps, it becomes nearly impossible to believe that a child in the womb is anything like a clump of cells that the left loves to say. It's a unique human being. It looks like a human being. Uh, And I think that piece is so important when we talk about the abortion versus pro-life debate. I wish there was more scientific voices involved in that discussion. But unfortunately, it's become such a politically polarized topic that I think sometimes we get lost in the weeds between conservative and leftist, and pro-life and pro-abortion that we forget to step back and look at the big picture and the evidence in front of us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure if you read some of your comments, you've probably said that you're anti-woman. I mean, they made oh, that yeah. same claim. <laughs> they, made, they they said Amy Coney Barrett was anti-woman. I'm like. The the hard stretch to make, but whatever you say, the left has gone on a full out hinge the last couple of years. Well, Isabel, I do want to thank you for coming on and make sure you uh, go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you so they can support you and you and TPUSA's work and how they can get involved.
1: Well, Noah, thank you so much for having me. It's always so fun to talk everything happening on college campuses and everything happening with our culture war. So I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, you can follow me on social media at the Isabel Brown or at the Isabel B on Twitter. And I've got some really exciting projects coming up with turning point USA and our video productions department. So giving you a little teaser into that coming in January and my book will be coming out in a few months as well. So would love, all of your support with that book launch in February And in the meantime, I really hope all of you consider getting involved with Turning Point USA, whether that's a chapter on your college or high school campus, an activism hub for groups that may not have a chapter in their area, but can start sort of a club within your city or your county. And then coming to our awesome events as well. We're getting ready to head to West Palm Beach in nine days uh, for our Student Action Summit, which is the biggest event we host all year. And I'm so excited to see everyone in person, to hear from the biggest speakers in the conservative movement and just to meet all of you guys as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And like she said, you can follow her on uh, Instagram, the Isabel Brown and Twitter, the Isabel B. I will make sure I have all those in the descriptions. Again, thank you so much.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Noah.
0: So uh, again, a big thank you to Isabel Brown for coming on. She's one of the up up and coming voices in the in this movement. She she really um, is doing a lot in terms of fighting for the conservative movement. Like I've said, we we have to win these two Senate races in Georgia, and if we do, the future is, is bright. Make sure you guys uh, remember on in February. I'm sure I'll have her back on about her book. Um, in order, I'm going to be ordering it. Hopefully, I, maybe I can get a signed copy. I mean, I, I think we're kind of friends now. But again, thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the Let Frame Ring Podcast. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. And we will see you again, guys, again next Monday. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys a ton. I'll see you guys next Monday. Y'all have a blessed
1: week.